in the moment of surrender, it can feel like a devastating loss. It can feel like an endless pit in your stomach. And it can be a battle for fighting for your deepest longings and desires. It's hard to see past our immediate wants and longings to believe that there's a better life if we choose to trust, obey, and surrender. When we come to a moment of surrender in our life, which will continually happen throughout our whole life, there's another way that we can look at it besides leaving things behind. We can look at the possibilities ahead and cling onto the hope of entering into God-sized adventures that are just a few steps of faith ahead. I want us to think about what adventure might be waiting for you just by asking the Spirit to empower you daily. We've been talking this whole weekend about the Holy Spirit empowering us to say, Lord Jesus, I surrender. And to be honest, I'm sad to let these things go. I need to grieve about letting these things go, but I want to choose to trust that your plans are better, that I will walk by faith where you lead me. A surrendered life doesn't happen just once. It's not a recommitment. It's a daily giving over of ourself, of our thoughts, our desires, our dreams and actions to, to the one who has and knows the greater purpose for our life. It's about following him into the unknown, not just living by the book. And so are we willing to surrender our thoughts, desires, dreams, and actions? Are we willing to trust him enough to follow him into the unknown and see his vision for your life? We begin by practicing giving each day to the Lord. Tomorrow look, might look mundane to you or let's say Monday, when the new week starts. You have a schedule, you have your rituals, you know what normally to expect. But what if in that mundane schedule you invited the Holy Spirit? I give you my plans, I give you the people I normally see, I'm gonna give you this situation. You do with it what you want. That simple prayer every morning can change how you see that day, how you experience that day, and how God will use you in that day. Here's a humbling thought when it's wanting to live our life for God's glory and make an impact while we're on this earth. What if we can only count the moments in our life when we're filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit? It's sobering, it's humbling, it might be depressing, but think about it, if it's the Holy Spirit that makes eternal things happen on this side of heaven, we don't wanna waste another day. Let's not look behind, but let's look ahead on what if every day for the rest of our life, we say, Holy Spirit, empower me, use me, make me have an impact before I'm with Jesus in heaven. What could he do with this room of women? What can he do with our lives? Remember this, it's not how long we've been a Christian. Some of us have been a Christian for decades. It is how we live our life after we become one. And after this weekend, we wanna decide how am I choosing to live the rest of my life? So what is God asking of us? What does it look like to daily surrender to him? 
Well, Dr. Bill Bright, who is the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ in 1951, wrote a pledge to the Lord when he and his wife, Fanette, felt called to start this missions organization. He knew that without surrender and without surrendering his life and their lives as a couple, that the Lord could not powerfully use them. So here is the pledge that he wrote and signed alongside of Vanette in 1951. He said, Lord Jesus, I surrender to you to walk in the power of your Holy Spirit. And I will go where you want me to go. Do what you want me to do. Say what you want me to say. And then give what you want me to give. That give what you want me to give was added a few years later. But this was the original <coughs> pledge that he and Vonette committed to. This simple pledge, it's not a Bible verse, had a profound effect on this couple's life as they daily committed to walking in the power of the Holy Spirit and making that a crucial part of their message. Campus Crusade is known for evangelism, but Dr. Bright, if you've ever met him, was known for a man who walked in the power of the Holy Spirit. When my husband and I got married on September 23rd, 2012, only four years ago, we chose to make the same pledge to the Lord. Alongside our vows, we invited up about 15 pastors that had impacted our lives over the years. They laid hands on us as we committed this pledge to our lives and our marriage. But it's not easy. And that's why we have that plaque on our wall every single day to remind us that we are committing to this for our life. So we're gonna go through this pledge together tonight. And we're gonna start with go. Going where he wants us to go is not easy most of the time. And I'm sure it wasn't easy for Abraham either. Look at Genesis 12:1. It says there in Genesis 12:1, God said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. <coughs> leave your home, leave your community, leave your family that you're supposed to be with until you die and go. He didn't ask him this as a youthful 20 year old. He asked them this at 75 years old. Now I understand he lived longer than we do today, okay? <laughs> But it doesn't matter. God calls us to go. All of us. We do not have the excuse, you know, of our age. He calls us to go. And that usually means we need to get up and leave, doesn't it, if we're going to go somewhere. It means leaving very significant places where we have had roots. It means leaving people we love, have spent years of knowing us, to go risk to go and God didn't even tell him really where or really why a theme you see in the Bible and this is why I want to study it more he doesn't always give you the plan he just says go go next door and knock on that door go talk to that person that's by you at the supermarket go and he gives you something small to go do and you don't know the rest of the story for me, it was challenging when I lived, I was on staff with crew at UC Berkeley and I felt called to go overseas to serve in China. 
And I didn't know if I was going to come back or not. I didn't know how long I would serve there. But I knew it was time for me to take this step of faith and go. Now, my plan was to go for one year. I'm going to raise up students, take them. They can stay there longer, but I'm going to come back. So I had this little one-bedroom apartment up by Berkeley, and I thought, oh, I do not want anyone else to live there because I will be coming back in a year, and I love this house and this little apartment, and this is my space. I want to keep this. Even though I'm going for a year, this is still mine. I mean, I'm renting it. It's not even mine, you know. But, um, but God knew I wouldn't be going back to that one-bedroom apartment. My battle with the Lord wasn't going overseas. For some people, it's actually where they, where they need to go physically, like, like what place. But it was surrendering my apartment that I thought I would come back to. My plan also entailed keeping the five students that I um, cast vision to come with me to East Asia, to China, and they said yes. And I thought, we're going to all be a team. We're already friends. We already know each other. But leadership told us that two teams needed to go to East Asia, and so we were asked to pray about splitting up. And we were extremely disappointed that we wouldn't be able to serve together. But I knew it was what the Lord was calling us to do. I also knew that if I didn't surrender even these little things, that I would begin my year overseas with bitterness, disappointment, and hurt. Sometimes before we obey the Spirit's leading to go, we need to grieve what we are leaving behind and let the things we hoped to hold on to in that transition. So one month before we left, I was just praying out to the Lord, and he gave me this poem of surrender. And it was written with tears and grief. I mean, now, years later, I see that the things that I was giving up were so small in comparison to what I received when I abided in him and trusted him. But in the moment, this is how I felt. I said, oh, Lord, you you're asking me to surrender. It feels as if the muscles are being pulled from my bone. Have you ever felt that? Everything of appearing significance will be taken away. Can my heart handle it? Am I strong enough? You pluck them from my grasp. Things that brought joy, comfort, purpose. Things I never thought I'd be able to surrender. The Lord said, surrender your home. Offer it to others, to those who may not even be thankful, who may think they deserve it. Offer it to them anyways. Bless them in a way they've never been blessed. And show them love they've never seen expressed. So I said, Lord, I surrender my home. A place of peace, comfort, and community. Greatly cherished, offered to another. But in the blessing I was blessed. There was great joy in the offering. Then the Lord said, surrender your team. You thought you'd lead. You thought you'd all go together, but one by one they went elsewhere. And then there were three. Yet another challenge. One woman is needed to go elsewhere. Will you be the one? Surrender the team, the city. Will you still go? Lord, I surrender. My dreams of a partnership, I will go alone. Surprise blessing. One will go with me. Someone I know and who knows me. Then the Lord said, surrender your role at Cal. You will not be going back. Carla and Brad need to lead together without you. 
You will leave a great working relationship. You will leave four new staff women. You will leave the intern you led to the Lord. Lord, I surrender and peace floods my soul. I hear, well done, good and faithful servant. What a blessing. And I let go. Then the Lord said, take care of yourself. Don't lead the team. Learn the language. Serve and be served. Six months, just be a team member. Lord, I surrender. It's challenging. It's good. It's a blessing. Then the Lord said, surrender your finances. Let go of your safety net. Have integrity. Don't raise support for East Asia. Grow your faith. Give it all away. Go trusting I will provide. Lord, I surrender my finances. I receive deep joy in giving and blessing others. Then the Lord said, surrender your future after East Asia. But Lord, it feels like a big black hole. Nothing excites me. And the Lord said, think new horizon, not yet painted. Get excited. Lord, I surrender not knowing. I experience your presence, purpose, and peace. Surrender. It's about God's will, not mine. There I have found peace, comfort, faith, purpose, strength, and blessing. Yes, even hints of joy. I will surrender. Where might God be asking you to go? What might you need to surrender to get there? I had no clue that two years later, after being in China, they would ask me to be the national director over our entire region. And I wanted to keep a little apartment at UC Berkeley. You know, I didn't know God was going to give me my own condo in Anaheim as a single woman that I could own as a single missionary on financial support before I got married. God blessed me as I let go. The second one is do. Doing what he wants me to do isn't always easy either. But it builds a strong foundation for our lives and in the lives of others. Luke 6, 46 through 48 says this, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. When we do what God wants us to do, we have a firm foundation of obedience. You know, I have served in the church in some capacity since I was a youth, and still there were things in serving the Lord that were outside of my comfort zone. And interacting with the homeless was one of them. Until I lived at Berkeley, I really didn't have any um, normal interaction or constant um, engagement with homeless people. Um, and this changed when I met this man named Ken. He was a homeless man who lived in Berkeley's infamous People's Park. I don't know if you've heard of it, but he started to attend our church every week. And Ken was a very relational man in his mid-50s, and he was hungry to study God's Word. He wanted to join a small group so he could grow more in the Word of God besides on Sundays. But there was no way to get to the small group with public transit. 
So one of my friends who drove with me to small group said, Holly, maybe we should pick him up and take him with us to small group. And I was like, okay. So we started to take Ken to small group with us. The car rides to and from were always rich with deep spiritual conversation filled with delight. But one thing I learned that Ken shared with me is the reason so many homeless are on the street is because they're unable to get a job because they don't have an actual address. In order to apply for a job, you need to have an address. And that hit me as, wow, there are some real mentally stable, not addicted to drugs people that just need an address and they would be able to get off the streets. So one evening, I am driving Ken home really just to outside in this park and the Holy Spirit prodded on my heart to do something about Ken's situation. And I knew right away some might disagree with this idea. I didn't know how my family would feel about it or other people I respected in my life, but I knew that this is what I was supposed to do. So I took a deep breath and I blurted out to Ken in the back seat, Ken, would you like to live in my apartment this summer while I'm gone? It'll be vacant for two months, and I thought maybe you'd like to stay there. And my heart was just pounding while I was waiting for an answer. I didn't want him to feel uncomfortable or insulted by my request. But he looked at me in shock, and he said, Holly, are you serious? This would give me a chance to get a job and to get off the streets. Yes, yes. I mean, he didn't know my house was full of teddy bears back then and a canopy bed and had a country theme. I thought, man, you're gonna look great in that country bed with all those teddy bears. But he did it. And those two months changed Ken's life. Though he had a roof over his head, he didn't forget his friends at People's Park. Every Sunday, he went to church, learned the sermon, took good notes, came back to my apartment, made peanut butter and jelly, walked to the park, and shared with them the same message he heard that Sunday while giving them food. And by the end of that summer, when I came back, he said, Holly, not only was I able to get a job and move out and get my own apartment, but I feel called to be a pastor now and possibly even a missionary to Africa. My spiritual gift, he said, is teaching. And I just thought, wow, again, I wouldn't have known that when the Holy Spirit prodded, give somebody a room in your house. You're not even gonna be there. I knew people would say, well, what if he brings other homeless in your house? What if things start to be missing? But it didn't matter. Those things are not eternal. He is eternal. He is loved by God. And look what God is now doing with his life. What might the Spirit be asking you to do that might seem odd or unconventional? Are you willing to do it even if you don't know the outcome? Say. Saying what he wants us to say isn't always easy either. At times, I don't want to say what the Holy Spirit puts on my heart, whether it's to encourage someone or exhort someone around me, because it seems like, honestly, it just takes too much time and emotional energy. There's, a there's no guarantee that the person's going to change, that they'll be responsive to what I have to say. But I know now that I can have peace in knowing that the rest is in God's hand after I say what he's asked me to say. And I'm not just talking about evangelism. I'm talking about in any relationship, God might have you say something. Well, this is what happened to me about in my mid-20s when the Holy Spirit wanted me to exhort a woman who was at least two or three times my age. Though highly respected by many people, 
If you were to spend time with this woman, she would gossip about others and label them based on areas they needed to grow in. She would say something like George, the workaholic, or Peter, the conflict avoider, or Marsha, the verbally aggressive. And I knew that she was in a position of leadership and influence, but her labels of people were coming across as disrespectful and judgmental. I felt like the Holy Spirit wanted me to gently reflect back to her my experience of how she's talking about people in light of their development. Can I tell you how intimidating it was to sit down with her for a cup of coffee to have this conversation? But I felt like she is just a sister in the Lord like me. Who, who else is, is nobody giving her this feedback? Somebody has to give her this feedback. And the Lord brought to my mind Luke 12, uh, 11 through 12, which says this. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. I prayed about it. I journaled about it. I thought about what I was going to say, you know, but I had to know that in the end, Holy Spirit, you have to speak through me as I submit to this woman something that I think needs to change in her life. We sat down for coffee. I tried to listen and learn and reflect back what I heard. And it was six hours of dialogue at Starbucks. We were still in disagreement after six hours at Starbucks on if it was appropriate or not to discuss other people's growth areas so openly. So I decided I guess we're supposed to agree to disagree. There are times even in the body of Christ we are called to exhort, call one another toward holiness, toward, to help one another become more like Jesus. But we can only do what we're supposed to do, and the rest is the Holy Spirit's job in their life. It takes two people for reconciliation to happen, but we are still called to be the ones to pursue reconciliation with others. It's interesting because five years later, after that long conversation at Starbucks, the Holy Spirit put her on my heart again. I was taking a leadership class, and the instructor asked us to write down leaders that had influenced us to be the person we are today. And her name quickly, immediately came to my mind because she had mentored me for at least my first five years in ministry about how to go through difficult conversations and resolve conflict with others. How interesting is that? She taught me how to speak truth to others. <coughs> After we wrote down these names of the leaders that came to our mind who had influenced us, the teachers suggested that we think of some way of thanking them for influencing our life. And immediately, I felt like the Holy Spirit put on my heart, you need to send her flowers. And my flesh fought back and I argued, why waste money on sending her flowers when we're not even reconciled? But that's exactly what I knew I needed to do. I never heard from her after those flowers were sent. But I did see her at an event about a week or two later. And I knew it would negate my purpose in sending her the flowers if I didn't go up, acknowledge her, and thank her face to face for her positive influence in my life. 
Unfortunately, when I took that step of faith to go do that, the conversation still was not so pleasant. I left the room wanting to cry with grief, but the Lord in my grief comforted me with his presence and he reassured me, you said what you needed to say and you loved unconditionally and you forgave. You're not living in bitterness. And he goes, you did and you gave. And he goes, the rest is between me and her, between God and her. As I reflect back on that situation, I'm so thankful I obeyed the Lord. I have freedom when it comes to that relationship that's still not reconciled. And even though it really is one of the more painful um, relationships in my life, the Spirit used it to develop me and to give me confidence to trust God as I speak truth and love in other people's lives. So what might the Spirit be prompting you to say to somebody? Are you willing to risk it even if you don't see visible fruit in the moment? Well, lastly, give. Giving what He wants us to give isn't always easy either. He wants us to give our time, our talents, our treasure. He wants me to give all of my finances to Him to use as He wants it to be used. This means for me, giving my money to friends for their adoptions or for a friend's surgery or for a child in a foreign country to be given food, medical attention, and good schooling, or to send students on mission trips for the first time. It means cheerfully giving whenever he asks me to give. In Mark 10, 21, a rich young man went up to Jesus and he wanted to know how to have eternal life. Jesus looked at him and it says this, he loved him, he loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. And he has two of our principles here. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Isn't that the whole week? Abide in Christ, follow Christ in your going and in your giving. I want to focus on, do you follow him with your finances? I have lived on personal financial support for the last 18 years of my life, and for Matt and I for the last four years of his, because he joined staff four years ago. Receiving people's hard-earned money for me to live and serve in vocational ministry is truly a humbling experience. My entire perspective on giving has changed because I see that my bank account is really God's bank account. And I'm not creating rules or expectations of where I give or how much. So I tell people that support me, I'm a bank for God. You give to me, you're really giving to God. God's gonna tell me how to use it and we're gonna use it for God. So you're trusting me with your finances to be used for God. So this past summer, my husband and I have been having a lot of fun trusting God in this area, not just for our own support, but how to use it. And so we have had students come up to us and give us their, their mission trip letters. It's their first time wanting to go overseas. And in the past, we're like, okay, we've discipled that person. They're in our small group. We'll support them. But this year, we wanted to take a bigger step of faith. And we said, let's give to every student that asks us. We didn't know if we could. We didn't know our, our support can change every month. But we said, by faith, let's give every person that writes us a letter. And then we said, let's do this to encourage the student 
they sometimes write an amount. They say 50, 75, 100. Someone else might say 100, 200, 500. And I could kind of tell their faith of how much they're willing to risk asking for support. And we decided, well, let's trust God and encourage these students by giving them whatever the highest number is that, that they put. So we're like, really? This person was really trusting because they put 500. And we're like, we're going to try it. Well, what's unbelievable is we gave trust in God. And in the middle of our summer, I get a phone call from one of our supporters. And he goes, how much money do you need? What do you need money for? Because I need to give away a large sum of money. And I'm like, are you joking me? And I asked for a certain amount, and he gives us $2,000 over what I asked for. And everything that we gave away was given back to us and more without knowing. We didn't know. We didn't know where it would come from. I tell you that not because we want to lose the credit in heaven, God, but because <laughs> they probably will. But because I believe what Luke 6:38 says. It says, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put in your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. I believe that. It's not for material things. Yes, in my flesh, I want a four-bedroom house really badly, and I would love to own one. But we live in Fullerton. There is no way we will ever be able to own that as missionaries. So it is not about wanting these things, but it's about trusting God with our finances. Well, what's blessed me is those that have so sacrificially given to us. There is a man that supports us who's in his mid-30s, and he's a retired vet. He came back from serving our country and was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress as well as bipolar. In fact, he was shy, he had a nervous twitch, a stutter, and it hindered him from getting out. He could not even have a job. He lived with his sister and he received a disability check every month for his income. But despite his physical and mental challenges, this man loved Jesus so much and he wanted to live with eternity in mind. And so the way he saw he could do that was with his meager finances. Each month he would give us $400 toward our ministry needs. He was clearly one of our largest ministry partners. Sitting face to face with him one day, Matt and I asked him, why does he give so much when he has so little? Barely able to give me eye contact, he said, I know I am way too messed up to make a significant impact on this earth, but I know I can invest in you and I will have a significant impact on eternity. I left that time with a heavy, humble heart. To give to God when he asks us to give is one of the most significant things we can do on this side of heaven. I love that my friend saw that and was, I was humbled to receive his sacrificial gift. So what might the Lord be asking you to give? If we truly abide in Christ, not only like this morning when I shared, will we want to share Jesus with others, but we will be willing to surrender and go, do, say, and give with trust and obedience. And what will happen? He will give us peace, and confidence and direction through his spirit so that we can experience the joy 
that obedience really gives and the joy of being used and blessed by others. We won't be able to do this unless we're abiding in Christ and walking in the Spirit. We can't live this surrendered life without walking in the will of the Father. So I want to close our time this evening by sharing the story of my friend Monique. Monique had lived a whole life of hospitals. She had cystic fibrosis. She passed away the day after her 34th birthday. She lived a life of hospitals, but she lived a life of faith. She saw every day as given to her as precious. When she was 28 years old, Monique needed a double lung transplant. When lungs were finally available to her, she wrestled with if she should receive these lungs. She sat down with my pastor and she said this, what if the person on the list after me doesn't know Jesus and I get the lungs and live and they don't get the lungs and they die? I know Jesus. I can die and go to heaven. Who thinks like that but someone with an entirely surrendered life? Somehow, my pastor helped her see that those lungs were a gift for her to elongate her days on earth to continue to make an impact for Christ. And Monique took those lungs, and she got to live another six years until November 23, 2010. What's also so beautiful about Monique's story is she dreamed of getting married. Even though she knew she might not live long, she didn't want to give up on that dream, though she did surrender it to the Lord. She trusted the Lord whether she'd be single or not the rest of her life. But God blessed her by bringing into her life Shay, and they quickly fell in love. Our pastor warned Shay, he says, you know, she might not live very long. Do you really want to enter in to this relationship? And he said, yes, I know, but I know I'm meant to marry Monique. Monique and Shay were married, and they lived most of their marriage in hospitals. In fact, they took anniversary pictures each month in the hospital because they didn't know if she'd even make it to one year. She lasted 10 months into the marriage before Monique went with her other bridegroom, Jesus. But I want to share with you the words that her husband, Shay, emailed us at 6.54 in the morning, the morning he knew she was going to pass away. I think it not only shares the testimony of her surrendered life, but his surrendered life in trusting God. Here is what Shay wrote to us. Monique was special. We all loved her and were able to see the way she lived for Jesus day in and day out. What a great example. She affected everyone she came in contact with. Earlier today, I witnessed an employee here at the hospital who only knew her a few weeks, and she wept as she said goodbye. You all know she had a way of loving everyone. Too many times to count, she met a stranger and walked away a close friend. She shared Jesus and loved everyone. I'm still amazed by the way she was. She would barely be able to breathe and ask people how they were doing and how she could pray for them. She cared for others first just the way we all are supposed to do. Sometime today, she's going to meet Jesus. This is the moment she has been craving her whole life. She wants nothing more. Too many of us are busy living here, but not Monique. She was living here, but her eyes were focused there. She will be very happy soon, and I am happy for her. It will be a hard day for all of the family. Please keep them in prayer. 
Some of you will say, Shay, I'm sorry for you. Well, don't be. I was the lucky one. I made was made by God to love and marry Monique. It was the greatest 10 months of marriage of my life. God blessed me in such an amazing way. I found someone special who made was made just for me. Every day, every moment was worth it. Sure, I wish I had more time. Who wouldn't? But what an amazing time I had. I'm so thankful for what Jesus gave me, what gifts my Father in heaven saw fit for me. It is humbling, and I can do nothing but praise him for it. God made everything, including our beautiful Monique, and we are all blessed to know her. Thank you, Jesus, so much for letting us all know Monique and spend time with her before you took her home. God has been so good to us all. What a life she lived. One day we will all get to be with her again. Thank you, Jesus, for making a way. Eternity with Christ and a chance to hang out with Monique again. She will be there, and I can't wait to see her again. Shay. Hundreds of mourners filled the room for her memorial service. Many were people diagnosed with the same disease she had, holding onto their lives by a thread. And many shared how she comforted them, inspired them, and were God's encouragement in their sickness. Even with an illness that eventually took her life, Monique lived every day in the power of the Holy Spirit. She lived a surrendered life. She abided in Christ. What if we all chose to live our one life like Monique did? No matter what cards we've been dealt with in life, we can still live this life for eternal impact. We can still see our lives become more like Jesus and impact lives around us as we walk in the Spirit and abide in Christ. You only live once. How do you want to live?